This is the Siècle. Episode 24. Lafayette in America. Welcome back, everyone. Last time, we followed the unsuccessful Carbonari conspiracies in France in 1821 and 1822, which saw a range of conspirators, including the old revolutionary hero, the Marquis de Lafayette, try and fail to overthrow King Louis XVIII. The episode ended with a defeated and nearly broke Lafayette boarding a ship to return to the country where he first achieved revolutionary fame, the United States of America. Today, we're going to leave Louis and instead follow Lafayette across the Atlantic. It's a bit of a detour from our core story, but it's an interesting one and relevant for a major figure who has not yet finished his time in the spotlight back home in France. To learn more about Lafayette's so-called farewell tour, I spoke with Lafayette expert Alan Hoffman. Do note that our interview, conducted remotely over Zoom, has a few audio artifacts, for which I apologize. As always, you can visit thesiecla.com slash episode 24 to read a full transcript of this interview, along with images, annotations, and a link to buy the book Hoffman's published about Lafayette's voyage to America. Now, on with the interview. My guest today is Alan Hoffman. Alan Hoffman is the president of the Massachusetts Lafayette Society and the American Friends of Lafayette. He is the translator of Lafayette in America in 1824 and 1825, which is the journal kept by Auguste Lavasseur, who was Lafayette's private secretary during his 1824 American tour. He has also lectured widely on Lafayette. Alan Hoffman, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Why don't we start off by talking a little bit about how you got interested in Lafayette? Well, um, I was always interested in early American history. I was a history major at Yale and studied under uh, Edmund Morgan, who was a great early American historian. And um, in uh, 2002, I read a book called America's uh, Jubilee. How in 1826, a generation remembered 50 years of independence by Andrew Burstein. And the whole first chapter was about Lafayette's farewell tour, which I had no knowledge of at the time. And it kind of uh, intrigued me. So I started uh, getting interested in Lafayette. And uh, I was in New York taking depositions. I was a practicing lawyer staying with my brother-in-law. It was September 17th. 2002, I know because I have billing records. And he asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And he wound up getting me two books at the the Strand Bookstore, one a biography by Unger and the other a catalog with three great essays about uh, the art of the farewell tour. And at that point, I was hooked. So what what is it about Lafayette in particular uh, and the farewell tour in particular that really appeals to you? Well, uh, what appeals to me about about Lafayette is that he was kind of on the right side of uh, almost all issues that we could explore uh, during his lifetime. He, of course, uh, was uh, prominent in the American Revolution. He tried to export American doctrines to Europe and to South America. He supported national revolutions as vehicles. Uh, for uh, the, the, the rights of man. Uh, he was a human rights uh, crusader. He uh, was a lifelong, uh, at least since he was 23 or 24 years old, 
abolitionists and early abolitionists. Uh, he supported Protestant rights in France, Jews in France. Uh, he was against the death penalty. He was against solitary confinement. He supported Polish refugees uh, during the Polish Revolution in France. Uh, he was supportive of prominent women uh, as well. So it's kind of like the complete package. He's someone that I, at least, would love to have as a neighbor in 2020. As to the farewell tour, uh, I, I believe that the farewell tour was a unique event in our history and in, perhaps in the history of the world. Now, you may think that that is Trumpian hyperbole, but I'm not the only person to say that. Uh, Ezekiel Niles wrote in Niles Weekly Register on November 6, 1824, quote, the volumes of history furnish no parallel. No one like Lafayette has ever reappeared in any country. In 1830, Edward Everett wrote a review of Auguste Levasseur's journal, uh, Lafayette in America in 1824 and 1825. Uh, he wrote this in the North American Review. He had Everett had welcomed Lafayette to Lafayette, uh, I'm sorry, Harvard College in 1824 when he arrived in Boston and was also the principal speaker at Gettysburg 39 years later. His Gettysburg address was 60 times longer than Lincoln's. In any event, in his review, Everett leveraged praise on the book, Lafayette and the Farewell Tour. And about the latter, he wrote, quote, an event taken in all its parts unparalleled in the history of man. So Lafayette uh, came on the invitation of Congress and President James Monroe. He sailed from Le Havre, France, on an, a packet ship, uh, an American merchant vessel called the Cadmus in July of 1824. Although he had last visited America in 1784 after the Treaty of Paris formally ended the uh, American Revolution, which he had shared the glory of winning on the battlefield, this visit 40 years later produced a fervid outpouring of affection from the American people for the last surviving major general of their revolution. During his 13-month farewell tour, he visited all 24 states where he was celebrated and honored on an almost daily basis. There were parades, festivals, banquets, speeches, balls, triumphal arches built in many cities to honor him, dedication of many public monuments, including the Bunker Hill Monument in June of 1825, where he helped to lay the cornerstone and meet and greets with the people, the common people who came to pay their respects to him and touch the nation's guest, as he was commonly called during his extended visit. I certainly haven't found any parallel in my studies to Lafayette's uh, farewell tour. All right. So let's let's dive more into that farewell tour. When we set the stage to start with, listeners of the Siecle are well aware of the events in France that contributed to Lafayette's decision to leave France and go to the United States, the failure of the Carbonari uprisings and other attempts that Lafayette had been involved in to try to bring liberal reform to France. What were some of the other factors in, in Lafayette's personal life and as well as in America that contributed to Lafayette's visit in 1824? I think that the principal reason that he came was that uh, he uh, wanted to use this visit 
to improve the prospects of the liberals in France, uh, as you so well documented in your last podcast, uh, the liberals uh, after the Carbonari conspiracy uh, were on the outs, and uh, they in 1824 they lost that election, and uh, there were very few of them left in the uh, chamber of deputies. So it was an opportune time for Lafayette to leave. Uh, he didn't have responsibilities uh, in the chamber of deputies. He had been wanting to travel to America for a long time. He had numerous friends, including pretty much all of our surviving founding fathers, uh, Monroe, Madison, and in particular, Jefferson, who was his closest American friend. And uh, he took this opportunity to come to America. Now, what did he find when he arrived in America? The Monroe era is called the era of good feelings. And to a large extent, it was. But there were a number of challenges and crises that had occurred in the last in the five years preceding his visit. Uh, there was the panic of 1819, uh, which was a, a, created a depression with the collapse of the land and commodities markets. There was, of course, the crisis over the admission of Missouri and the question of expansion of slavery uh, into the territories, the new uh, territories. And uh, it was solved temporarily by the Missouri Compromise, but this sectional conflict was always inherent uh, in America prior to the Civil War. Uh, then there was the contested election of 1824, which uh, had uh, actually five candidates, uh, John Quincy Adams, Henry Clay, Crawford, and Calhoun, and of course, Jackson. And uh, the election kind of came to a, uh, well, a uh, not, not a conclusion, but a uh, an ultimate conclusion in uh, November of 1824, which left uh, uh, Jackson the head uh, ahead in both uh, popular votes and in elect electoral college votes, but without a majority. And it went into the House of Representatives. But it, it was a very controversial time. So that's what Lafayette uh, faced when he arrived. and. Um, it, it what happened when he arrived was that his presence seemed to ameliorate all of these uh, stresses on, on America. People came together to honor Lafayette, and uh, wherever he went, uh, there were events during the the tour. Lafayette and his welcoming speakers constantly reminded each other of the success of the American experiment, and that that success was a direct result of the military and political actions of the founding generation, which Lafayette embodied. There were repeated references to the growth of the population and the success that the liberated colonies had achieved in manufacturing, agriculture, commerce, the arts and sciences, as well as the spread of public education. It was thought that the Republican institutions that the revolution had ushered in were the single most important cause of the great progress that had been made. There was also an intense feeling of gratitude to the military and political leaders who had won the republic as they were on the cusp of the jubilee year of 1826, 
Now, Lafayette was the embodiment of this founding generation, a blast from the past. And his repeated affirmations that Americans had done well, that they should be proud of their accomplishments, ameliorated the anxieties created by the financial, sectional, and most recently political crises that were on hand. And of course, Lafayette wasn't traveling alone. He had a secretary with him, Auguste Levasseur, who wrote the book you translated. Uh, right. Tell us about Levasseur. Well, Lafayette's party uh, was a party of four himself, a valet called Sebastian Wagner, who was re- referenced only once in the entire book, and they call him Bastien. Uh, and uh, his son, George Washington Lafayette, and Auguste Levasseur. Now, Levasseur was an interesting uh, character. Uh, he had been a military officer in France. He'd served in the 29th Regiment, stationed at Neuf Brissage, which you mentioned in, in your podcast. Uh, in contemporary newspaper accounts during the farewell tour, he is sometimes referred to as Colonel Levasseur. In 1821, he had been involved in the Carbonari conspiracy against the French monarchy, specifically in the Belfort plot. Now, Thomas Jefferson adverts to this aspect of Levasseur's early career in a letter that he wrote to Lafayette shortly before Lafayette visited Monticello in 1824. Jefferson writes, and the revolutionary merit of Monsieur Levasseur has that passport to the esteem of every American and to me, the additional one of having been your friend and cooperator. And he will, I hope, join you in making headquarters with us at Monticello. So the principal reason that Lafayette brought Levasseur in 1824 was to provide dispatches to liberal associates in France for publication in sympathetic French newspapers and journals. These dispatches included speeches, addresses, and news articles. This was deemed necessary to fulfill what I consider to be the main purpose of the farewell tour, to revive the liberals' political prospects in France by publicizing the lessons that the successful American experiment in republicanism could teach Europeans. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. So why don't we take the sort of a bird's eye view of the tour? Uh, obviously, you know, we could talk for hours about everything that Lafayette did, but uh, where, where did he land? And what, what, what was sort of the general course of the tour in just a, a minute or two? Well, he landed uh, actually in New York Harbor in Staten Island uh, because it was a Sunday and the city was not ready for its big celebration on August 15th, uh, 1824. After spending some time in New York, he went to New England. There were events in Connecticut and Rhode Island. He spent uh, over a week in Boston. He went up to New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, headed back to New York, and then up the Hudson to Albany and Troy. And then he headed west to New Jersey, Philadelphia, down to Washington, through Delaware and Maryland, down to Washington, 
D.C., where he spent the winter, but he made a number of side trips. So during that time, his original intent was only to stay for about four or five months and visit the original, the first 13 states. But then he started getting invitations from the rest of the country. And his son, George, with the uh, with the postmaster general and others, plotted out the rest of his trip. It was a southern and western spring through the south, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, up the the uh, Mississippi River, River to St. Louis, with stops along the way in uh, Mississippi and other places. And, and then uh, he went to Illinois. And then uh, he ultimately he headed back east because he had promised to attend the Bunker Hill Monument celebration on June uh, 17th, 1825. And he headed uh, east. He was one of the earliest travelers on the Erie Canal. He went back, uh, to Albany uh, on the Erie Canal. And then he headed south uh, again. And uh, uh, he uh, wound up, actually, he had he headed further east. He went to Boston for the, for the uh Bunker Hill uh, Monument celebration, spent some time there, went to New Hampshire again. This time he went to uh, to uh, um, Concord, the capital, and headed west, got through Vermont, went to Vermont, his 24th state, and he headed back to New York uh, for July 4th. On July 14th, he headed uh, to Philadelphia and ultimately wound up in Washington, D.C., where he lived with John Quincy Adams in the White House until he left in early September. So those were kind of the outlines uh, of, of the tour. You talked about his his trip through the South, and obviously slavery was still a, a major component of, of Southern life and would be for decades to come. You'd mentioned the sectional tensions that were already intense at that point. And of course, Lafayette uh, had long connections to abolition movements. Uh, was, right. was was slavery an issue uh, during his his visit to the parts of America where slavery was was practiced then? Yes, it, it was. And uh, Lafayette believed that being the nation's guest as he was, that he couldn't be as frank as he was, for example, with Thomas Jefferson and their correspondence uh, about uh, the evils of slavery. But he took steps, uh, he, he took symbolic steps pretty much wherever he went. Uh, in New York City, for example, he uh, visited the African Free School and uh, a young boy, 11-year-old by the name of James McCune Speech, thanked him for all of his uh, work against slavery. Uh, that young boy was not able to go to medical school in America. He went to Scotland became a doctor, and he became a leading abolitionist. He was an associate of Frederick Douglass. Uh, when he went south, uh, many of the, uh, the, the uh, local municipalities forbade slaves and free black men from attending the public events because of Lafayette's abolitionist reputation. But he found a way to make his point known. Uh, at Yorktown, he, according to a newspaper account, he embraced a double agent for him during the American Revolution, a slave at that time whose name was James Armistead, who became James Lafayette. 
after Lafayette wrote a memorial for him and the uh, Virginia legislature uh, gave, uh, gave him his freedom and paid his owner a hundred pounds. Uh, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, a former slave by the name of Pompey Fortune crashed a cocktail party after a public parade. He came to see Lafayette. Uh, he went by the militia who were guarding the entrance and Lafayette recognized him. He was the first servant, as Lafayette said, who waited on him uh, when he came to America in 1777. They shook hands. Lafayette called for a drink of champagne with Pompey. They had they shared that drink together and then Pompey left. In Savannah, he also greeted a slave at his headquarters. Uh, when he was in um, New Orleans, he made a point to shake the hands of every member of a, an African-American militia who had fought in the War of 1812. And then there's the story of his visit to Lexington, Kentucky. A slave was on a fence when Lafayette's carriage drove by, and Lafayette tipped his cap to him, and the slave turned around and didn't see anyone else on the on the fence, and he ran away because he was afraid that people would be angry because Lafayette acknowledged him. That slave said in a memoir uh, many years later that at that moment, that recognition from Lafayette convinced me that I had to escape and get out of this condition. And he did. And he came to Boston. His name is Lewis Hayden. He was a leading abolitionist in Boston. So Lafayette, in his own way, made, it, made an impact, although he did it in his own way. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the, the various celebrations and parties and, and events that uh, accompanied Lafayette's visits. Can, can you maybe focus on one or two of those events that maybe maybe highlight the manner in which Lafayette was celebrated and received? Yeah, um, let's take uh, the Philadelphia, the, his arrival in Philadelphia on September 28, 1824. Uh, he was always met by militia who always escorted him in him in, but they, were, they, they provided uh, three or four uh, carriages. He was on one with uh, a leading uh, town father whose name was uh, Judge Peters, who was uh, a contemporary of Lafayette, knew him during the revolution. And, and they passed by um, a parade of all, all of the different types of business. For example, there was a float of printers who actually had a printing press and they, they printed an ode to Lafayette and they threw them to other people who were passing by. Uh, all the different disciplines had their own floats. It was like, maybe it was like the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving or the Thanksgiving parade. They, they went through nine wooden arches welcoming Lafayette, the last one in front of Independence Hall. Then he was ushered into Independence Hall, and uh, he was given a, a speech uh, by the mayor of, of Philadelphia. And I, I think I'd like to quote his because it makes some of the points short, some of the points that he made. He's in Independence Hall. There's a statue of his uh, mentor, George Washington. And he says, here, sir, within these sacred walls by a council of wise and devoted patriots, and in a style worthy of the deed itself, was boldly declared the independence 
of these vast United States, which, while it anticipated the independence, and I hope the Republican independence of the whole American hemisphere, has begun for the civilized world, the era of a new and of the only true social order founded on the unalienable rights of man, the practicality and advantages of which are every day admirably demonstrated by the happiness and prosperity of your populous city. So that was one of the, I would say, uh, more elaborate uh, events, but every town uh, you know, uh, tried to uh, approach that in their attentions to Lafayette. How did Lafayette's visit impact America? Uh, the United States was still a young country at this time, uh, the, with George Washington still in living memory. How did Lafayette's visit as, as this celebrity and this tie back to the revolution, how did it shape or, or validate America's self-image and conception of its revolutionary history? I think it was a, it was a very important uh, event for the morale of the American people and the American polity. As, as I mentioned before, he went around the country, uh, a, a vision from the past, one of the last founders, the last surviving major general of the American Revolution. And he and his interlocutories validated the work that they had done and the present state of affairs of America. And they did that in the speeches uh, and the toasts that were made uh, at all the banquets uh, in many, many cities. And I think it uh, through a, uh, during a time with some serious controversy, like the slavery issue and the territories in particular, and also the political campaign, um, it, it validated the the success of the American experiment. This was obviously a big deal at the time. You quoted from some of these uh, contemporaneous accounts. Did it leave a lasting legacy? Uh, was this these Lafayette events remembered uh, long after Lafayette had gone back to France? To some extent, yes. Well, one of the effects at the time of the farewell tour, there were only three cities, towns, townships, or counties named for Lafayette. One, the earliest uh, city named for him, 1783, was uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And the two counties had been named for Lafayette in 1780. Fayette County in Kentucky, which is Lexington, it's coterminous with Lexington, Kentucky, and Fayette County in Pennsylvania. As a result of the Farewell, there are now 80 cities, towns, townships, and counties named for Lafayette. And these names take six different forms, Lafayette, Lafayetteville, Fayette, Fayetteville, and then LaGrange and LaGrangeville. LaGrange was his estate, his last remaining property. It was actually came down in his wife's family. And everyone knew that he lived in LaGrange in 1824. For example, at the big event in New York, the Castle Garden Ball, uh, which was a fantastic event, they had a transparency of his home, LaGrange. Also, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, cities, uh, not cities, streets, uh, parks, avenues. Uh, there are 20 or so statues of Lafayette 
in this country. There's a mountain in my state of New Hampshire, Mount Lafayette, they call it. It was named in 1824. And then there's a river in Virginia, the Lafayette River, and there's a lake in Florida, Lake Lafayette. So his name is is, is out there. And many of these local uh, and smaller towns, they, they his visit was a big deal, and it is still an important event uh, for the, the local historical societies. And then with Lafayette's reputation got two boosts in the last, oh, really three boosts in the last 10 years. Uh, one was the arrival of the Hermione, uh, the ship, the reconstructed ship uh, that came to France, uh, came from France in uh, 2015 and went up the coast. Uh, it, it was a model of the one that brought Lafayette back to America in 1780 after he'd gone to France on furlough with the news that the French army and a fleet was was coming. Then the play Hamilton. Uh, Lafayette is a, an important character uh, in it, and that's got a lot of uh, attention to Lafayette. And then finally, there's a young man by the name of Julian, Julian Ichet, who... Uh, uh, came from France. Uh, originally, he was an intern with the Consul General in the Boston area. And with the help of my organization, the American Friends of Lafayette, he created a website uh, doing the, uh, following the footsteps of Lafayette's farewell tour. And he's, he returned, and he's now working to place markers. He has a sponsor, the Pomeroy Foundation, on the stops that Lafayette made in many of these uh, cities. I'm going to a marker dedication in New Hampshire at Claremont on December 28th, uh, for example. Before his tour, uh, obviously Lafayette was a famous person, but but how famous was he in the United States? Did, did everybody know who the Marquis de Lafayette was before his visit, or was it to some degree his fame made by this visit? I would say that he had... Uh, he was famous at the time, um, but that fame was certainly enhanced uh, by by the farewell tour. There's a little anecdote in the book uh, when they are walking back from the Bunker Hill dedication. Levasseur reports that he's overhearing the conversations, and these young uh, boys are talking about Lafayette's role in the American. Revolution. So his role was known because he did keep in touch with America through his correspondence with uh, Jefferson in particular, but other American leaders. But uh, it was, let's say it was exponentially advanced or enhanced by the farewell tour. So we've talked about uh, the impact of Lafayette's farewell tour on America. What was the impact of the tour on Lafayette? He had obviously come in the aftermath of some political failure in France. The it seemed like the triumph of ultra royalism there. How was Lafayette himself impacted by his tour and his reception? My interpretation is that it empowered. Uh, eighteen twenty one to eighteen twenty four was kind of a low point uh, for him. And uh, he was restored. Of course, he was restored economically as well, but he was restored uh, in other ways. So when he returned to France, he um, 
he ran again for the uh, Chamber of Deputies. He was elected in 1827, and uh, a number of other liberals were, were elected, and their block was uh, enhanced, certainly from what it was in 1824. And uh, his, his goal was always to have American doctrines adopted, well, that's how he called them, American doctrines adopted by France. And pursuant to that goal, in 1829, he went on a, a another tour, this time in France. He visited another uh, a number of cities uh, between Paris and his ancestral chateau, uh, which he also visited in, uh, in, at Chavignac in, in the Auvergne. There were a number of stops in cities. The events uh, mirrored uh, the farewell tour. In one city, there was a triumphal arch. In the major stop, the major stop was in Lyon. Uh, there were perhaps 60,000 people came. Uh, and there was a banquet, uh, and all the speeches and the toasts were reported in the newspapers. There was one newspaper called uh, L'Ami de la Charte in uh, southern France, uh, which uh, reported all the events, and then they were repeated in uh, Parisian newspapers. Uh, Levasseur's uh, book came out in 1829, uh, Lafayette believed that Levasseur's book uh, would be influential in France by showing, you know, the success of the American experiment and how well Lafayette was treated. So I, I believe that uh, the tour empowered him to uh, re-engage in a serious way uh, with politics uh, in France. You had mentioned that one of Lavasseur's purposes was to be sending all these dispatches back to liberal newspapers in France and correspondence and such. Is there any sense of the effect that these dispatches had at the time? That's pretty hard to, uh, to establish, but I, I can tell you one thing. The French ministry was not pleased. When, when Lafayette returned uh, in early October of 1825, he traveled by land. He was heading back to Paris and ultimately to Lagrange, which he went to. But he traveled by land and he stopped at Rouen. And at Rouen, uh, his admirers gathered. They had a band, etc., uh, to greet him. He stayed overnight and the local gendarme and the uh, army broke up the demonstration and injured a bunch of people. So they were not happy with the effect of the farewell tour as reported by Lafayette, by Levasseur and published in the French newspapers at that time. Any closing thoughts you wanted to share about Lafayette's trip to America and uh, the impact that it had? Um, well, I guess by... Uh, I've said a lot, but my closing thought is that, uh, as I said, it was an extremely important event, uh, in particular for, for America at a difficult time when uh, several issues uh, were troubling. And Lafayette's uh, uh, presence was like a bomb over uh, that period of time. Of course, as soon as he left, uh, the Americans went back to to uh, the controversies that uh, his visit 
had had ameliorated. My final thought is that, uh, as I also said before, uh, I consider him to be uh, one of the greatest human beings uh, in the in the history of, of the world, and uh, I would hope that uh, other people uh, study him, and uh, I'm pretty confident that you will reach the same conclusion. All right. Well, Alan Hoffman, thank you very much for coming on the show. He's the translator of Lafayette in America, which uh, you can find a link to uh, purchase at thesiecla.com slash episode 24. You can also visit lafayetteinamerica.com for more information. Mr. Hoffman, thank you for coming on the show. Well, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. My thanks also to all of you for following the show, and especially to listeners Zachary Weefel and Jared Routh, who bought me some French history books from my Amazon wishlist. They will be extremely useful for researching future episodes. This episode also received assistance from Jen Fuller, who transcribed the interview for me. As a final addendum, you might have caught a reference in our discussion to Lafayette being restored economically. We didn't get into that, but in addition to hosting parties for Lafayette across the country, Americans also showered him with gifts, and that included the U.S. government. Congress voted to give Lafayette $200,000, that's at least $5 million in modern terms, in recognition of his services to the country and his personal financial losses in the cause of liberty in two worlds. They also settled some legal disputes involving lands he'd been given in Louisiana. Both these actions helped the nearly bankrupt Lafayette get back on his feet. Lafayette pronounced himself opposed in principle to the gift, but the nearly bankrupt general accepted it anyway. He would return to France in 1825, coming back from his voyage looking big, fat, rosy, and happy, as one friend put it. Much had changed during his year away, including one major new development that we'll get to at last next episode. Join me next time for the Siècle, Episode 25, The King is Dead. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.